Hi everyone, it's Carter. A quick disclaimer before the episode. Riley and I are teachers in the real world. That's not made up for the show. But one thing we do make up are students. Riley and I take our roles as public community members seriously and would never use the real names or personal experiences of students in our classes, past or present. As such, any student names you hear us say are made up on the spot, and stories about our classes are highly editorialized for entertainment. Also, we like to keep our show clean of inappropriate language or content, but we feel that the stories themselves should be read without censorship of language. A content warning will be in the show's description in case we need one. That's it. Enjoy the fable, fellas. Um, do you want to do... Do you want to do a cold open? Do you want to try out a cold open? Sure. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, how cold does the open need to be? Oh, you mean like just when we're having a conversation and then it just fades in in the middle of the most interesting part of the conversation? Right, exactly. So we have a conversation and then, but before, it's all before the music plays that introduces, then we introduce the podcast. I feel like we've done a pretty good job of just leading into it and then the conversation just kind of picks up from there. That's true. I feel like if we ever tried to do a cold open like that, it would just not be as engaging as the things we usually do. And then when we lead into it, it would just be picking up right where we left off. For example, like right now. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Fable Fellas. I'm Fable Fella Riley. That's right. By the way, I am recording from a new a new studio, so it's right outside of an arterial street, and I decided I'd record in as close to that arterial road as I possibly could. A bold move. Let's so, see if it pays off. I know, right? So if the sound of buses comes through or honking at this particularly um, aggressive intersection happens, then that'll just be, you know, that's just a day in the life. That's how you know it's organic, raw, real, our show. <laughs> so I would like to lead off, Carter, with... The first ever um, revisit to a Fable Fella story because I oh. recognized something after our recording that really should have been mentioned. Uh oh. Okay. No, it's not anything we did wrong. It's something that the writers did wrong. In our Andrew Coffee episode, we were both pretty uh, frustrated that it ended up just being a dream, right? Yes. Correct. The thing, we were too frustrated to even recognize or remember that this whole impetus of the story was a character telling a story about his grandpa. So this wasn't even just, it was all a dream story. This was some dude wasting everybody's time at the local pub talking about a dream his grandpa had one time. <laughs> that is absolutely right. He goes, yeah, this this telling about his grandpa, and he goes, my grandpa had the wildest... I got the wildest story, and you're not even going to believe it. And he doesn't even start off by saying it's a dream, which would have saved everybody a whole lot of time because they could have paid their tabs and, you know, left early. <laughs> Imagine the them. ego of thinking that not only a dream story would be interesting to anybody, but a dream that happened to somebody else. This is great. That's a great detail <laughs> that I completely overlooked. Uh, the second thing is... You did it. You did it. Did I did what? You went, ha, 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 ha. Oh, dang it. That's right. <laughs> Carter was just uh, unloading some forbidden knowledge on me that most people, after laughing, do this intake of breath that editors of podcasts have to edit out. So now I'm going to be uh, constantly worried about that. Thanks, Carter, for this forbidden knowledge. Yeah. One of the great things about recording a podcast like this together is we get to uh, laugh together organically. And now I've uh, ruined Riley's ability to laugh organically by <laughs> having him be incredibly self-conscious of 
How, when when and how, and the, by by what means does he giggle or snort yeah, or chuckle? Now I have to breathe away from the mic like the chocolate rain guy. It's. I was just gonna say it's a step on our way to podcast professionalism. I think once we get this sorted out, we're gonna get you know we're gonna get our ads for all of those you know mental health care stuff and meal meal kits. After we get the, the after we get the la- laugh snort away. We're going to get sponsors just nonstop. They're going to be clawing at our door. I also think I just discovered what the weird clicking noise is. I think it's my armrests. Uh-huh. A lot of discoveries happening on the podcast today. That's another thing. Yeah, we have to, you got to hold very still when you podcast. It's not like when you see things like when a YouTube short comes up and everybody's got like a... Everybody's just like constantly moving the arm of their microphone around. And, and everyone's like, I'm playing like, How do you get taxi. away with that? Yeah, they're always... How do these much more successful podcasts get away with moving their microphone arm around so often and playing Crazy Taxi nonstop? That's I don't know. I don't understand. They've, they've dished out for the quietest chair in the world. That must be what it is. I've got, speaking of, I've just upgraded. I have like a legit gaming chair now. Ooh. None of this is interesting. <laughs> All right. The second thing I wanted to bring up was um, the last time we recorded, I led off by asking you about narrative pet peeves of yours. Yes, to- I remember this. Today, I want to switch gears. What is something in stories that you really like? It could, like, I'm thinking specifically minor things, not huge things in the story. For example, something that I really like in narratives is when. At the beginning of the story, the character defeats, you know, some sort of threat, and then they have a rogues gallery introduction of the other ones that they're going to have to face. Like, uh, the most recent example of this is in the game Hi-Fi Rush, after Chai defeats the first boss... He literally ends up in a Zoom call with all the other bosses and the big bad. So it's kind of like a tableau to display, hey, you beat the first one, but there's a lot of much more powerful, much more diabolic dudes that you're going to have to tussle with before your story ends. I don't know why, I've just always really loved that rogues gallery introduction of all the baddies. Now, that is, is that video game specific? Because you're going to interact with them on a much more personal level than reading about it or watching a movie with that sort of thing in it i think it appears mostly in video games but also in uh, comic books there have been times where uh, like for example the other one i can think of is when the god hand are first introduced in berserk where these very powerful demons all show up and while the main focus is uh, Griffith, the one that Guts is totally out to get. There's all these other really grody-looking demonic dudes, and looking mm-hmm. at it, they know, all right, so the main character has to deal with a lot more than just the big bad. There are a lot of other minor, but still nothing to sneeze at battles to deal with on the way. True. The biggest example I can think about for this, I don't know if this trope has a name, but I'm going to give it one. I'm going to call it the head hunt. <laughs> I like so that. So when... So, like, Kill Bill is a good example of this. Oh, absolutely. Where you are given, like, the five major, just, like, right up front, here are the five major targets. When those major targets are defeated, the movie's probably going to end soon. And you just kind of, I like that, too. I, I can, I see, I love it when it's done well. And I find that when it's not done well, it's incredibly disappointing. For like, uh, It's like the, reading the someone's grocery game. list. Yeah, the video game Deathloop is a really good example, where they... Um, give you all of these like these eight targets to try to figure out how to defeat this mm-hmm. is another video game but all of them are like so they're caricatures but they're not fleshed out very well 
Whereas like in a game like Bioshock, you get to really know on a personal level all of the the all of the low level mini bot you know bosses you're gonna fight before you end the game. You get you get you just get to know them a lot more. So I I, I like it when it's done well. Yeah. But I I'm, I'm I'm not angry when it's not done well. I'm just disappointed because I do really like getting that checklist of like oh this is a very good progression marker or like here's the five henchmen you've got to defeat before you're gonna get to the big bad. Absolutely, and I really like Deathloop. I enjoyed that game experience, but yeah, there is something kind of lacking from the founders. Each of them are. You know, they have their own characters to fill out. Like, one is the scientist that no one respects. The other is the, you know, the disc jockey. And on surface level, there's stuff you could look into. But none of them really get a lot of active time in the spotlight. Everything that you learn about their characters and their quirks are things that you kind of get through audio logs and such. And if these characters are so active in the world and not characters that died a long time ago, which is what audio logs are usually supposed to be, about then it just feels like you've missed out on something Mm -hmm. and for the most part a lot of the stuff that they've accomplished that makes them characterized at all is already done i think about like the nerd that made that like immersive not a video game but like that immersive thrill ride experience Mm -hmm. where you go through like that martian grounds like but really when you get to the top he's basically just sitting on an easy chair waiting for you to come kill him and you're like all right yeah cool (laughs) you're I'm glad you're having a good time, Charlie. I'm trying to think if I have one that I really like, because I do like that one a lot. I think that's I think that's really cool. I like I really like in I like when the side character in a in an ensemble gets their big moment. That's something that like always pleases me. Non like all, every time it happens when when the side character in something gets their one big moment that you're like, okay, that's what they've been around here for. That's what their whole like character progression has been leading them to now question you know, first is they this, were afraid sorry so question is this about specifically characters that really had to kind of have a glow up and develop and are kind of like underdogs when the story starts that or they're just interesting and they're given some time to shine like i, I think my hero academia does this really well especially like in the later seasons when you watch all of there's like that that show does a does an incredible magic trick of juggling a cast of 20 students characters who are all crazy and interesting and unique now they don't always some of them are given short shrift for sure but there's also like i don't know like 15 teacher characters that are also have to be given moments to be heroic there's an entirely different class of 20 hero characters that have to be given a moment and then there's like a um there's this amazingly uh, huge spread of villains that will all, you know, that all need like a moment to be awesome or to be deadly or to be whatever. And the show for, you know, I don't know, like a hundred on episodes has done a really great job of showing like at least this core 20 students, like some of the students you're like, they're not even close to being the main character. And then they do something really cool. And it's something that they've developed because they've been going to school and working on their superpower. And then you see them do something new and the show just really treats it really like with the grandiose respect that it deserves. So I love it when a character just gets a gets their moment to shine and they're not just stuck in the background being like a support for you know, or just like a red shirt or whatever that's just going to be there so that they can be killed by somebody to show how the you know, the main characters be like, "Wow, they really are a big deal, a big threat, and I'm going to kill them. I'm going to get defeat them next." Yeah, it's really something to be able to balance that much of an ensemble cast because like even 
like DMing a role playing game, having 20 NPCs is a daunting thought in and of itself because some of them will just be T posing in the background at certain points of mm-hmm. your narrative. Yeah. Ense- and ensemble shows tend to do this really well. Original, uh, like Star Trek Next Generation or DS9, did this really well, or many of the original Star Trek series did this really well. Firefly, Battlestar Galactica do this really well. So many of them. They're like, I think that those are why they end up being my favorite shows. Where because you just get um, there's a show that Joss Whedon made after Firefly called Dollhouse, which has like the most sort of boring main character and really interesting supporting characters. That is what I've heard about that show. But like the supporting characters really make it and they, they're given so much time to be awesome and develop and they have they all have incredible arcs. Anywho, you want to read about zombies? You got to finish the story. Uh, let's save that for the next one. We just had a 13 minute intro. <laughs> You're right. You're right. We got to finish it one day. We, uh, we will. We will. We're in the. You... We're in the end game. We're in Act Three. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Well, in that case, would you like to hear a tale? Maybe our first. I think a tale from India. Ooh. All right. Um. Now this. I don't think this. This was certainly not told. I don't know if this is from India. I have to say. Okay. okay because well. The... <laughs> The you want to hear a story from India? Cited. Now, this might not be from India. Oh, I, okay. Well, let me, say, let me say why I think that. I think many of these are like... So, uh, Joseph Jacobs, who has been one of our favorites... Our arch nemesis. He, he is credited as the author of pretty much all the tales from England. He's also credited for half of the tales from Ireland. And he's credited for some of the tales from Russia. No, sorry, not Russia. But he's also credited for some of the tales from India. So I imagine when they sat down to write these stories, they got some, you know, Joseph Jacobs was, was what I imagine was some sort of like fairy tale scholar at the time. And he said, well, I heard this story from India. <laughs> scholar is being pretty kind. Sat I think, down. Well, I mean, you, we don't know. We don't know who this guy is. Maybe, maybe they just interviewed some people on the street. <laughs> um. And and so the uh, the author of this story is actually uh, uh, per- somebody named Flora Annie Steele, which is a great name. That's a really great name. And this this one gets crazy. All right, um, I'm and ready. pretty much nonstop. It's called Little Ankle Bone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, uh, let's go. By Flora Annie Steele. Once upon a time, there was a little boy who lost his parents. So he went to live with his auntie, and she set him to herd sheep. All day long, the little fellow wandered barefoot through the pathless plain, tending his flock and playing his tiny shepherd's pipe from morn till eve. But one day came a great big wolf and looked hungrily at the small shepherd and his fat sheep, saying, Little boy, shall I eat you or the sheep? Now... I feel like having a wolf just be the main threat is enough. I don't think you need to make it talk. Is it possible that there are... Is it is it ignorant of me to wonder whether or not there are even wolves in India? I... Because I, I have no idea. I've never been to India. I don't know. Are there wolves in India? Can we... I'm gonna... I'm gonna... I'm gonna <laughs> clickety-clack. Hey, Siri, are there wolves in India? Calling Grandma. Are there wolves in India? Inhabit the forest? Yes! Okay, there's plenty. Do they talk? Um, are there talking <laughs> wolves? Um, 
It says the Indian gray wolf, among the least studied subspecies, is a social carnivore that lives in groups called packs and has many types of vocal communication. Like speaking so, yeah. the king's English? Um, well, they said least studied, so the, I guess the jury's still out on whether or not they talk. But we've got some evidence here in Little Anklebone that says that they do. All right. And they're also very, um, they're very diplomatic, as this wolf has already given this little boy a choice. Yeah. Eat, I will eat you or your sheep. What do you think? Then the little boy answered politely. I don't know, sir, Mr. Wolf. I must I must ask my auntie. Now, hold on. <laughs> so he's got to go get, you know, he's got to go see what auntie thinks about all this. Yeah, he comes back. Uh, bad news, Mr. Wolf. Auntie says I'm not allowed to get eaten. Yeah. Bye. So I'll... <laughs> he, yeah, so the wolf, very reasonably, uh, just like, yeah, it's okay. So all day long, he piped away on his tiny pipe, and in the evening, when he brought the flock home, he went to his auntie and said, Auntie, dear, a, a great big wolf asked me today if he should eat me or your sheep. Which shall it be? How do you think that the auntie was going to respond to this? I, I feel like any guess I could make would either, number one, be so off base, or number two, I would upset myself for being right, so I'm gonna step back, hold my hands in the air, and just accept what comes my way. Then his auntie looked at the wee little shepherd and at the fat flock and said sharply, Which shall it be? Why, you, of course! Yeah. So next morning, cool. the little boy drove his flock out into the pathless plain and blew away cheerfully on his shepherd's pipe until the great big wolf appeared. Then he laid aside his pipe, and going up to the savage beast, said, Oh, if you please, Mr. Wolf, I asked my auntie, and she says you are to eat me. And the wolf said, Wait, for real? <laughs> right. Hey, um, kid, kid, do you need me to call CPS? Like, wh yes. what's going on? Would you like a third option? Because we can put your auntie <laughs> on the table here. She seems kind of more horrid than I am. Yeah, your auntie seems a, like I, a real wad. Yeah, and that's saying something, because, uh... I'm the Indian gray wolf, and I'm among the least studied spe subspecies. People don't understand how generous and uh, just kind of cool. I'm a good hang. Now, the wolf, savage as wolves are, could not help having just a spark of pity for the tiny barefoot shepherd oh, who hey. played his pipe so sweetly. Now, don't get your hopes up. Okay. Therefore, he said kindly, could I do anything for you, little boy, after I've eaten you? Well, no. <laughs> 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 by, by definition, can't think no. of anything. Can I say? I don't know. Can I say a word for you at the wake? <laughs> could you just let? You know, could you just remind people how nicely I played the flute? <laughs> just like, there's a scene can... where it's a memorial service, and like several of the townspeople showed up, and the wolf just walks up, weeping openly, <laughs> like, "How dare you show your face here <laughs> after what you did?" <laughs> No, he's, he's, he, he, sent he sent me. He sent me to deliver one final message. <laughs> he said, Auntie, suck a rock. <laughs> uh, so he offers, he offers if he could do anything, a favor in return for being, you know, for allowing him to be eaten. Thank you, returned the tiny shepherd. If you would be so kind after you've picked the bones as to thread my ankle bone on a string and hang it on a tree that weeps over the pond yonder, I shall be much obliged. What? So he's like, no just comment. hang my ankle bone from a tree, actually. That'd be just, be tops of you if you could just do that. What? A That's fair. Alex and I have an agreement for me to do the same for him. That makes sense. 
what people may not know if they're listening to this in the future is that you have to register every couple of years to see who's going to hang your ankle bone from a tree if you pass away. Just want to make it, this is 2023 we're talking. So if you're, I don't know, 100, 200 years in the future and you're listening to this archive, you may not do this anymore. Yeah. Who knows? But for now, yeah, my, my best friend and hetero life mate, Alexander Bennett Johnson, <laughs> has given me permission to hang his ankle bone by the river. Mm-hmm. And who's got who's going to hang your ankle bone? Uh, oh, OK. Clearly, I wasn't paying attention and I need to revisit some paperwork. Yeah, it's same, you know, and they'll bill you, too, if you don't re-up. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually in default right now. My wife and I, my I best just... friend are going to fight over this. And it's not that I can't pick a person, it's that I can't pick a tree, you know? Oh, There's yeah. so many up here, up in in Seattle. Again, listening in the future, if you're not sure, there are these plants, really big ones. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so grim. <laughs> so the wolf ate the little shepherd. <laughs> Picked the bones and afterwards hung the ankle bone by a string to the branches of the tree. Now one day, three robbers who had just robbed a palace. Oh, it's o- it always to comes down to the way. robbers. I lo- I love it when these stories feature robbers because then you mm-hmm. know it's about to go off. And robbers are constantly gathering under trees. They're gathering under trees. Is... They're forming hobbit holes. They're getting chased out of their houses by a judge, two cops, and a butcher. <laughs> now they this is how you know it's a tale from india because they use the word pe- joseph or sorry uh, uh miss steel uses the word palace instead of castle ah yeah you know if this was from england they would not say palace no they just dropped a palace happened to pass that way sat down under the tree and began to divide the spoil just as they had arranged all the golden dishes and precious jewels and costly stuffs into three heaps a jackal howled Now you must know that thieves always use the jackal's cry as a note of warning, so that when at the very same moment little Anklebone's thread snapped and fell plump on the head of the chief robber, the man imagined somebody had thrown a pebble at him and shouted, Run! Run! We are discovered! Okay, it's nice that they gave us a little bit of a background lore about the jackal, because otherwise that would have meant nothing other than, oh yeah, jackal's out there. Yeah, and I can't tell if they're trying to say that, like, just a the animal the jackal crying is a is just an, like a bad omen or if they're saying that like a, another sort of associate robber who's like a lookout does like a you know like the equivalent of a bird call as a warning sign i have no idea yeah i also like though that anytime robbers sit down under trees something hits them on the head <laughs> yeah robbers are an easily startled bunch this happens not, this also happens constantly in these stories he bolted away as hard as he could, followed by his companions, leaving all the treasure behind them. Now, said Little Anklebone to himself, "What? I shall lead a fine life. What? What do you mean? <laughs> what, what, what do you what, mean? What? 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 He's what? dead. What? What's wrong? Who's dead? Wait, wait. Are you telling? Are you telling me that the Anklebone is talking to itself, like the Correct. the little Anklebone that could? Yes. <laughs> The Anglone is talking. Yeah. So the ang- so so he gathered the treasure together and sat under the tree that drooped over the pond. This is still the ankle bone. Okay. And played so sweetly on a new shepherd's pipe. With what? <laughs> With what bodily part? 
Did he play a tune? I'll give you three guesses as to what bodily part. He's only got one. You Does it actually say? No. But he is an ankle bone. Okay. So it's probably that part. Now, how? I don't know. You've got me on how. But with what part is pretty easy for me to answer. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's... It sat under the tree that drooped over the... He played so sweetly on his new shepherd's pipe that all the beasts of the forest and the birds of the air and the fishes of the pond came to listen to him. Then little Anklebone put marble basins round the pond for the animals to drink out of. And in the evening, the does and the tigresses and the she-wolves gathered round him to be milked. By what? I don't know. (laughs) Him? Maybe? I'm losing my mind. (laughs) This, this seems to me to be, and I, I, I can believe that this is a tale from India, because what I imagine is that Miss Steele has, has sort of stolen from us so much context that if we sort of looked up, if we looked up commonalities in like India, Indian folk tales, we would probably understand a whole lot more. Oh yeah. Now, I bet this is like the kids version of... India's Epic of Gilgamesh, and the only context that we were given was, yeah, jackals are a thing for the thieves, but then we're missing out on an entire tome of context that explains why kids would nod their heads and say, yes, as you do, go, right, go off, bones. little ankle yeah. bone. That makes sense. I mean, like, at least when the bun came to life, it just rolled around and talked. Yeah, and sang. This ankle bone is playing a, a piece of flute. He's milking animals <laughs> yeah a singing bun doesn't require that much context if you if you picked up the bun that sang a tune yeah. at your local video store you could just assume okay someone took uh, a couple shortcuts in the writer's room if you picked up this at your blockbuster video and put it in you have to go to at least 14 wikipedia pages to trace what is going on and why this makes any sense <laughs> It's a leap of faith I can make with the bun. With this one, it's significantly harder. Uh, So he's milking the she-wolves and the does and the tigresses, and when he had drunk his fill, he milked the rest into the pond. Till at last it became a pond of milk. Makes sense? Yep. I've heard word. Uh, That one, that follows. Pond plus milk equals milk pond. (laughs) Little Anklebone sat by the milk in pond and piped away on his shepherd's pipe. Now... One day, an old woman, passing by with her jar for water, heard the sweet strains of Little Anklebone's pipe, and following the sound came upon the pond of milk, and saw the animals and the birds and the fishes listening to the music. She was wonderstruck, especially when Little Anklebone, from his seat under the tree, called out, Fill your jar, fill your jar, mother! All drink who come hither! Then the old woman filled her jar with milk and went on her way, rejoicing at her good fortune. If there was a single line <clears throat> that explained that when the ankle bone landed, it then, like, formed into the skeleton of a little boy with, like, a little hat and the flute, I could go along with this, but I'm just imagining, like, a small bone rolling across the floor and a disembodied mm-hmm. speech bubble coming off of it, and I... <laughs> it's like, hey... Hey, fill up your, uh, fill up your bottles. Got milk here, milk in the milk pond. Would you? Would I fill up my bottle of milk? From, from the ankle bone milk pond? No, I'm lactose intolerant. That's right, I forgot. (laughs) Okay, well, 
<laughs> Do you like how I yes-anded you on that one? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> then the old woman filled her jar. She rejoiced for, for her good fortune. But as she journeyed, she met with the king of the country. Oh, fancy that. Who, having been a-hunting, had lost his way in the pathless plain. Give me a drink of water, good mother, he cried, seeing the jar. I am half dead with thirst. It is milk, my son, replied the old woman. I got it yonder, from a milk and pond. Then she told the king of the wonders she had seen, so that he resolved to have a peep at them himself. And when he saw the milk and pond, and all the animals and birds and fishes gathered round, while little Anklebone played ever so sweetly on his shepherd's pipe, he said, I must have the tiny piper, if I die for it. Okay. He's so into this. I mean, that, he wants it. I guess that's kind of what royalty does in these stories. They demand things that no one otherwise would think to own or lay claim to. Like a living being, quote-unquote. Yeah. Well, like, that looks interesting. It it's you know it, it strikes me as, like, these were the only true... They were the people who could collect stuff. Yeah. Right? Like, what else were they up to? It's just like, I want that ankle bone. Why do you think you wanted the ankle bone? Do you think it was the milk or the pipe music or the fact that it was a talking ankle bone? I mean, what do you think, even if it was all of it, what do you think was the most appealing? Probably the animals. The animals yeah, parts. Yeah, he saw all the animals grouping together. The animals that usually eat one another are all just hanging out, drinking milk, and listening to some smooth jazz from Little Ankle Bone. And he thought, "Hey, that's nice." <laughs> I think maybe, yeah, I, I like that he can bring animals to court now because he's got he's got that ability. I think yeah, the pan the the fluting. I think that would be like the talk of all the court. All the other like lords would be like, "Did you hear what the king just added to his like court? <laughs> did you hear what he did?" Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a it's a bone that plays the flute. <laughs> no, I know it, but you've got to go see it. Yeah, he in the pathless plain. That's where he found, he found in the milken pond. Oh, you know. he went to yonder milken pond. <laughs> said the same, said the little bone. German boy that found himself lost <laughs> in India. So he's gonna he's sworn to take the tiny piper away from his milken pond. Yeah. No sooner did little Anklebone hear these words than he set off at a run, and the king after him. <laughs> I'm st- <laughs> okay, then I just imagine like a little cartoon bone on a pair yep. of like brown, sensible loafers, and like the feet are moving <laughs> up and down while the bone just stays in place. It's like that sound from the Scooby Doo thing, like <laughs> when they just run away in midair. In like a Rayman style floating glove, he's like <laughs> yeah. clutching a little pipe. Or a little flute, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, pipe flute, that's pan flute? What do they call it? It doesn't matter. The Never There's was there such a flute. chase before or since. For little ankle bone hid himself amid the thickest briars and thorns, and the king was so determined to have the tiny piper that he did not care for scratches. At last the king was successful, but no sooner did he take hold of little ankle bone than the clouds above began to thunder and lighten horribly, and from below came the lowing of many does, and louder than all came the voice of the little piper himself, singing these words. Oh clouds, why should you storm and flare? Poor ankle bone is forced to roam. Oh, does why wait the milker's care? Poor ankle bone must leave his home. That, that was pretty good, Carter. Wow. Wow, you've grown so much since the bun started off on such a harsh <laughs> note. Been practicing. Also, I'm, I think I'm going out to karaoke tonight, so I'm warming up. Neat. The, uh, 
Also, hard to imagine this being a story from India when the song rhymes translated into English. Yeah. The, oh, you know what? Probably a really good Maybe. localization team. Yeah, good localization. That's probably what it was. A trusted. They just they took some creative liberties, yeah. but it was like is yeah, it's all above board. Surely it's kind of like how every time they directly translate the opening of <laughs> any anime ever, the it just does not sync up. Mm-hmm. Early Funimation was the only company that actually put some effort into making it kind of fit the songs, and ever since they more or less gave up and just do the regular version. But the first couple of seasons of One Piece that they did, they had some pretty baller localizations of the openings. I mean, it's it's a detention to craft that does not go unappreciated. Because when you... It's one of those things. It's like, you know, the bass in a band. It's, you know, it's often a thankless job. But when it's when it's missing, you notice. Absolutely. And you, there's a part of you that's like, this is not as good as it should be. So he sang so piercingly sweet that pity filled the king's heart especially when he saw it, it was nothing but a bone after all. Did, did he not know? <laughs> well, he, he knew it was a bone. He said, I must, well, did he? Hmm. He said, I must have the tiny piper. He didn't say, I must have that little ankle bone. And wh- why would seeing so, it as just a bone change anything? It's like, aww. It's just, aww. It's, just the, it's just the disembodied remains of a child. I need to change do my you, ways. Do you think do you think pity is the wrong word and maybe it's something like disappointment or abject geez. terror? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He sees that it's a bone with still some gristle on it and a flute attached with duct tape and he says, What? 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 And just <laughs> runs away. So this is the king telling the story later and he's like, My <laughs> my heart was filled with pity for the poor bone. And meanwhile, like when it happened, he had like peed himself. <laughs> he shrieks screaming. In terror. Through the pathless plane. (laughs) (laughs) So he let it go again, and the little piper went back to his seat under the tree by the pond, and there he sits still, and plays his shepherd's pipe, while all the beasts of the forest and the birds of the air and fishes of the pond gather round and listen to his music. And sometimes people wandering through the pathless plane hear the pipe, and they say, That is little Engelbone who was eaten by a wolf ages ago. <laughs> the end. <laughs> okay, so what that ending tells me is that this is definitely supposed to be like some sort of co-opted urban legend from a, like a specific area of India that mm-hmm. has like when the wind blows through the valley just right there's a whistling noise and then someone made up the story about some disembodied child to right. talk about why that happens. Well, and can't you, can't, can't you also just see, like, some sort of phenomenon that was that was as of yet unexplained, where water in ponds would sometimes appear to look like milk. It'd be, like, it'd be like sort of whiter or milkier. Mm-hmm. And it was really just some sort of, like, uh, mineral in, in the pond. But they were, you know, it's one of those things where you just, you create up a folktale to explain some phenomenon you're noticing in the world. And the, and it doesn't. It it seems like it's gonna end with like a lesson, and it's because it ends with like a little quotation mark. And they say like, "That is little ankle bone, who just goes to show, like if don't if you're a king and you try to chase an ankle bone, you're gonna get scratches." Yeah, I think trying to apply a moral to this one is a foolhardy venture. I think this is just one of those, and that's why this is the way in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it would be like if we took any of the kind of 
half-baked urban myths about the uh, Fairhaven Arboretum back at our alma mater at Western <laughs> and wrote out a story about it. And then someone in Bangladesh read it to their kids. They would have the same reaction. Now that's a, uh, there's a place where you could hang an ankle bone. That Arboretum. I bet you, I bet you there's plenty of ankle bones hanging from trees up there. Oh, I, yeah, there is, there's a non-zero chance that there are human remains in the Arboretum. Oh, for sure. What's great about that place, and uh, if you can imagine, so this was a, our our university was set up against a large wooded forested hill with paths all through it and nothing really in it except for like a big watchtower at the top which you know you could kind of take a little trek to but you could also walk through it to get to school and every now and then somebody would get it in their head to like put up a little art installation there like i remember i remember walking through the arboretum once and i was like not on a trail really but i came across like this grove of trees that had a whole bunch of like on the side of the trees somebody just nailed little mirrors into oh, the tree that is a fey trap absolutely <laughs> well right and i just you know the the part of me was like ah oh, somebody probably thought that they were doing something really cool up in here and me i'm looking at it like just with the height of skepticism being like <laughs> somebody was just trying to do something yeah there's no real there's no meaning here somebody just stapled some trash to a tree poor tree really makes you think though Mm-hmm. yeah then i hung up uh, a couple ankle bones and i Walked out. <laughs> yeah, I. You know what? I I wish that there was some way to pull like how many people put up an art installation in the arboretum, thinking they were saying something deep, and how many people came along the path, saw that art installation, and thought, "Wow, I never thought of it like that," and now I never <laughs> will. And then they walked away. <laughs> right, like, oh, I think this is. I bet this artist had something to say about perspective and nature and. Seeing your reflection amidst the trees. I'm like, all right, mirrors. Sure thing. Sure thing, bud. How can these mirrors be real if our eyes aren't real? <laughs> Still don't know what he meant by that. <laughs> That's weird. That was like directly the artist statement. You know, <laughs> also thumbtacked below one of the mirrors. Truly, there's no original thought left in the art world. <laughs> Do you have, I don't remember, we said something about the book recommendations and who would recommend a book based on who did the intro. Can't remember what it was. Do you have a book you've read recently you want to recommend on the podcast? Uh, yeah, right now I'm in the midst of reading the sequel to Stephen Graham Jones's My Heart is a Chainsaw. It's called Don't Fear the Reaper. It's a really good horror story, but I think the really neat thing about it is that it's more like a character study on uh, the main character, Jay Daniels. When the story starts off in the first one, she is obsessed with slasher movies and to an extent where she comes across as kind of craven and disconnected from other people because she's almost excited at the prospect that there might be a slasher in her hometown. But then the slasher genre in general is kind of used to explore why she is the way she is and the traumas that she has suffered and how she ends up kind of rising above it to become a better person. And now in the new one, she is much older. She is left behind this obsession with slashers, but now it seems like she might have to kind of become that person again in order to protect the people that are left in her hometown because spoiler alert there's a new uh, a new threat looming in the town of proof rock awesome i am going to pick that series up uh eventually if 
if you haven't if you like horror at all like horror genre you've got to get on stephen graham jones because he like even if you're not a super fan of horror but you're like i want a book that is trying to say something like he writes horror fiction with something to say Mm -hmm. and often it is through the perspective of um native american treatment and identity in the united states which i think is real also uh, a perspective that you know just my as i won't speak for everyone but as myself like i don't get that often yeah he yeah he also wrote uh the only good indians and yeah uh, we, that's the one i've read yeah it's a very good story and it definitely explores in i would say a really unflinching uncompromising way the way that native american people feel and the way that they feel they are perceived in today's society and I think it just really speaks volumes about just the sort of, I guess, cultural feeling of not knowing where you belong. Mm-hmm. That that book, I think, more than any recently, has done done the books a, a great book's job of making me empathetically feel more hopeless and more helpless than any book has in memory that book was like like it is a sad book yeah it's not and an it easy is a violent read. book and it is a yeah but it is it is beautifully written and it is it is really incredible if you're looking for a book that will make make you feel mm-hmm. it will make you feel I actually All had right. to <clears throat> do it as an audiobook because otherwise it was really challenging to keep seeing like the depth of like the troubles that the characters had to interact with. And I know that doesn't mm-hmm. sound like something you should put in a book review. It really is a fantastic read. Yeah. It's also a book that starts like it is a, it is a build. It never like every, cha- you know, every segment of the book, which is told through a different perspective is more like each next one is more like it's the, the first one is fairly slow. And then it just really ramps. To the point where, like, the, the, the chapter with the sweat lodge is, like... Oh, yeah. It's just nail-biting. Absolutely. Um, okay. Thank you so much for listening to the Fade to Green show. The uh, what? I think we kept you a little... Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for listening to the Fable Fellas. Carter, if you want we... to revive Fade to Green with me, I, I'd be willing. We can start... I mean, hey... I love doing this just for fun. It's so much fun to listen back to us and try to make us sound really nice and put us online. And I don't care how many people are out there listening, but if you are out there listening, tell a friend to listen to the show too, because it'd be very cool. That's it. It would be super cool of you to do. Yeah. Uh, tell them that you, tell them that we are incredibly easy to find, even if we're not on their specific podcatcher. We are on like Spotify and every. I mean, who doesn't? Arguably, too have that. easy to find. Yeah, I think so. We're on the big three. And I've been Carter. I'm still Riley. Keep it Vinny! Keep it Vinny!